Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. So hi everyone, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our very latest uh, podcast show. Uh, today I'm joined by David Hemp in Lahore and David is head coach of the Pakistan national women's team. Uh, former international cricketer for Bermuda and also former first-class cricketer for Glamorgan and Warwickshire. He's a level four ECB coach and also an MBA graduate from Birmingham University. So um, welcome, David, and thank you again ever so much for making time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Uh, hi, Tom. No, no, no problem at all. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to have a discussion. It makes a bit of a change from, uh, from a normal Saturday afternoon, so great to catch up. Well, let's hope it is an enjoyable experience for, for you, David. And, uh, you know, we, we're going to give you an opportunity to kind of share with the listeners, you know, your journey and your um, your sort of connection to the game so far. And the first question we always ask our guests is the same one. So if you don't mind sort of describing and explaining for us, um, you know, your first recollection of getting involved with the game of cricket, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, look, I guess for me, the first started my first uh, recollections would be uh, watching my father play cricket so he, he was a, a club cricketer in Swansea he played for um, for Swansea Cricket Club but then uh, my first recollection was him with Fanoni Cricket Club um, and Saturday afternoons got along with my yeah, younger brother and a couple of friends uh, having our own game on, on the side of the, of the pitch rather than watch what was going on in the on, on the main activity um, but we used to do that uh, throughout throughout the summer so that was my I guess my First, um, first experience of watching the game or being close to the game. Obviously, as kids, myself and my brother used to play in the garden uh, wherever possible, uh, or out, out uh, on the street in front of the in front of the garage. Um, so that's that's how we first started, and and I think you know those those memories of playing you know, in the garage um, and with your mates and your friends. Um, I think everyone can allude to those uh, uh, fondly. Yeah, 100%. I think um, a lot of people who've come on have talked about um, yeah, the influence of their, um, of their parents, particularly um, in, in, in this case, um, I would say in, more often than not, it's, it's a father or it's, a, it's an uncle as opposed to a mum or an auntie, uh, which is interesting. Maybe that's something that might change over time. But yeah, and then also I think um, a sibling uh, to have to play with as well has definitely been a, a common theme. So, so what, what about when you, I mean, did you play... Um, did he play as a junior at a at a local club um, in in Wales in South Wales or how did that how did that all come about? Yeah, uh, from, from that sort of that early introduction, yeah, I was um, I actually started off at Swansea Cricket Club um, under a coach uh, guy called Stuart Owen, um, who, who stayed and remained in cricket for a period of time down there in South Wales. Um, he um, so at the same time Robert Croft was in that in that same Swansea side so. Uh, from a young age, um, you know, little did we know that um, uh, in 2008, still be playing with him uh, from from, 19, from 1980. So it was a, a long, a long coexistence. But uh, but that's where I first started at Swansea. I uh, was fortunate enough then to uh, the age of 10. Fortunate enough then to progress through the uh, into the Welsh school side at, in, uh, when I was 11, uh, and then stayed within that system to the age of 15, 16. Uh, and then on to the uh, the Glamorgan and the 19 side uh, in the latter part of the uh, the 1980s. So that was the sort of the, the, the transition. Um, Swansea Cricket Club um, was 
you know, at the time I was, I was talking now about players playing enough cricket. I think I was really fortunate uh, to play at the age of 14. You know, I was playing on a, a Tuesday night with the 14s, Wednesday with the 15s, Friday with the 16s, uh, the seconds or uh, on a Saturday and then uh, on a Sunday with the first team. So at a young age, I was getting the opportunity to play five games of cricket, which uh, I don't think happens as much now. Um, but certainly for me, I found that very helpful in, in my development um, and gave the opportunity to, to play as much as possible and, and provide learning opportunities. Um, I certainly don't think, if I think about my own son who's just turned 19, yeah, he's, he hasn't had that, um, that much experience in terms of playing the amount of cricket that I did. So I think that was a big, a big factor in my development as a player at a young age. What, so what, what, would you, um, what would you say the, the transition from you know, playing with your own age groups as a 14-year-old uh, to playing senior cricket, you know, first and second team club cricket? You know, what recollections do you have of that in terms of the difference and the, the, the experience um, uh, of uh, playing junior cricket to then playing senior cricket, David? So, so what I mean from a, you, you mentioned Stuart there at um, from Swansea. What, what about anyone else from a coaching point of view that you know you look back on and, and think, oh yeah, that yeah that that person helped me from a from a psychological point of view, from a technical point of view, from whichever yeah. perspective you look at. What would you? Who oh, would yeah, you yeah. I, look, I was fortunate. I had I had Stuart at, at the club level, but I also had um, Alan Jones, uh, former Glamorgan player, um, who. Uh, actually was president of the club a couple of years ago. So, so Alan was uh, very sort of instrumental in, in my career as, as, as a young player. Uh, Tom Cartwright, who's no longer with us, uh, again, uh, from Morgan and Warwickshire player, an England player. Um, he was at the age of 11. So him and Alan were uh, involved with those those age group squads. Uh, and also um, an off-spinner called Barry Lloyd, who captain for Morgan. He was developing his coaching at the time, so still learning his. He was on a, his sort of coaching journey at that stage. So those three were uh, at the age of ten to, to twelve, thirteen. Were, were very heavily. Um, Alan was um, still connected with Glamorgan, so so he was. Um, I've stayed connected with him until the age of nineteen. Even when I played left Glamorgan and played for Warwickshire, um, I phone Alan up if he was at a game, and, and I will have a chat with him at the game. Um, in terms of you know what he was seeing, um, still now when I was playing full time professionally, so um, he's he's still a very um, was a very trust 
did um, coach and some of that, but I certainly uh, respected a great deal. Um, so that were those three in the early part, and then you know going through uh, school, I was I was lucky. I, I spent two years at Millfield School. Um, I was lucky to get a cricket scholarship there uh, for, for my A levels. Uh, a couple of good coaches there, a guy called Jerry Wilson and Andy Curtis. Um, so Andy Curtis was was uh, head of cricket. Uh, he played some minor counties cricket, but but again, um, was uh, what I found very very personal, per, you know, person. So that side that side of the coaching, um, Jerry looked after the, the technical side, but Andy was I guess a people person. Um, I've certainly found his his coaching his coaching style very beneficial. Um, and then from there I transitioned into the Glamorgan setup where uh, John Steele was my first full-time second eleven coach. Obviously, John went on to, to be a first-class umpire as well. Um, he was again different to others. I mean, I've been lucky that the the, the, the coaches I've come across um, in my in in my uh, playing and then um, coaching career um, and linked up with have all been all been different, all had different strengths. Um, and certainly, I've um, as a player, you, you learn from from the coaches that you come into contact with, and, I, and that was no different in my case. Um, and then, you know, what you would take and use in your own coaching, um, you with your own coaching style. So, so it's certainly very fortunate to uh, to work with the, the, the types of coaches that that, that I did throughout yeah. my whole career. Yeah, it sounds like you had um, a, a kind of a, a real mix of personalities and styles that um, obviously benefited you as a player, but also you just touched on how it's kind of perhaps um, helped shape you and influence your thinking and your style as a coach, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to uh, a bit later in our chat. Um, so, so what? It, it, uh, I mean, it, it, uh, I mean, sorry, it, it, it right. does. And the other, the other thing I think is is even you know those were sort of young influences, but then when you get the sort of twenty. By 26, you know, I left Morgan and Phil Neils. You know, he Phil Neils at Warwickshire. Then I had Bob Wilmer at Warwickshire. Uh, then I went back to Morgan. A guy called John Derrick, who was actually played played second eleven cricket with. Um, and then with Bermuda, you know, Gus Logie. Um, a guy, uh, a guy called David Moore, who's Australian. So even that, that for me, that sort of that latter part of my career, from sort of the age of 26 to, to 38 um, or 40, when I so obviously carried on with Bermuda after I finished playing county cricket. Um, again, I had a really good mix of, of, of coaches that were all slightly different in their approach. Um, some were some were technically focused, others were, were game plan, others were, were just a, a good person to talk to and wouldn't sort of direct you in terms of play, but just sort of from a confidence point of view, built you up. Um, so they're all, all, all unique. Um, I think that's the, that sort of helped me in my, my coaching um, progression. Um, I think understanding that all players are different, and you need to have that um, that widespread approach, if you like, um, or scattergun approach, maybe to help to help players be the best that they can be. Yeah, I, th- I think um, we've we've had quite a lot of chats on on the podcasts and on uh, on other social media platforms about sort of adapting your coaching style to the environment, to the uh, the individual player, to the situation, to the game, to the tournament, um, and may- maybe in in your your case in particular, David, having had experience and exposure to all these different individuals and their different skills and strengths uh, that's given you an opportunity to to reflect and, and take on board different aspects of of what you learned from them and, and factor it into your own style so um, a, a great a great sort of um, a great encyclopedia maybe you could put it that way yeah yeah very very lucky i'm not 
just locally. I mean, having I guess played abroad as well, um, been been coached by players, uh, coaches abroad. Sorry. So again, again, it's a different. I think playing abroad anyway, a different style of playing, but not just learning um, learning from that point of view, but also working with different different coaches, foreign coaches, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what was it like? Um, did you when you were at Millfield? Did you uh, you got your A levels? Did you then go on to the um, to sign professionally with Glamorgan? Um, is that is that what happened? Uh, no, uh, it's it, uh, I was I actually did two uh, two years of accountancy uh, at a college in Swansea, uh, but after the second year, um, I just decided that I wanted to play full time cricket, and I just felt that I was missing out on the opportunity. To play abroad during the winter. Obviously, the, the course was run through uh, through the winter uh, with exams in uh, in May, uh, latter part of May, early June. Um, like, uh, it was accountancy. It did, did interest me. Uh, my father was was an accountant, so I guess that that was the, the connection. But um, I, I just desperately wanted to play cricket full time, and I just felt I was missing out on on the opportunity to playing abroad a lot of the Glamorgan players at the time were playing abroad you know they get back pre-season talk about the winters away because um, in those days it was literally finished on the you know 30th of September um, those that were in the country sort of rocked up in, in the middle of um, January for, for once a week and everyone, everyone was back on the 1st of April or 2nd of April so it was, uh, that was the, the shape of things in those days so yeah, in that early April phase, when people were talking about the winners away, I thought, oh, I'd love to have, a, have a, an opportunity to do that. So I decided to um, uh, to, to, to quit right. uh, and sign for the time um, at that stage, um, which I felt was the right the right thing for me. And so, what was it like making your first, um, you, you, you know, your debut when you when you had moved on from um, from your education in in accountancy, um, switched and given your commitment to. Um, Pursuing your career in cricket, what was it like when you first got the opportunity to uh, turn out for the uh, the first team? Oh yeah, look, I think the, I think reality sits in sit, whether you need to perform to get a new contract. So I think that was uh, I think when you're studying, that sort of is, a, is away from you where you just I was I mean I've been on fortunate to be on a summer contract for, for three before you um, so I was in and around the system so it was it was a bit it was uh, I understood what what playing. Uh, I guess playing under pressure meant in trying to, in terms of uh, of output of, of, of runs, um, but I think when you know when you sign full time, you now you actually fall to realise what this what this actually entails. That the debut was was um, made because Ravi Shastri went back to India, I think, to play a test match. So it was an opportunity at the back end of, of the season. So I debuted at, at Southampton, uh, the old ground. Um, wasn't into any, any spectacular. Got bowled first innings for eight by Rajesh Maru. Um, went to bowl through the gate, and then uh, second innings was four not out. So um, got off got off the mark with a thick outside edge, the third man off um, from Carding and Connor. Um, so um, so that was it, really. So not much to, to write home about, but a great a great experience. And I'm sure a very proud moment uh, for you know for you and. Uh... And, and your family, like like anybody in in, you know, when you uh, first step onto the uh, the scene professionally, I'm sure a very proud moment for everybody. And you know, would you would you have been able to you know looking back predicted that you would have um, stayed in the game for as long as you did as a player before you even embarked upon coaching? No, uh, not at all. I mean, I obviously grew up uh, wanted to play for for, for Glamorgan. I think from the age of uh, 15, 16, that that became. Um, I 
guess it's evident to me that that's what I wanted to do. But I, I didn't look beyond that. Obviously, I was, yeah, you know, I used to watch England play, and then obviously David Gow. You know, I was a left-handed, so obviously David Gow was um, was someone I, you know, used to love watching back um, as much as possible. Uh, any left hand, but he and him in particular, for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, for, for me to, to be able to to, to play um, for the amount of time that I did, you know, I certainly consider myself. Um, very fortunate. The playing staffs were bigger then, so I guess you, you know they kept player players on contract for longer. Staffs are smaller now, so there is there is I guess that the expectation around output, um, consistent output, which maybe wasn't the case in that sort of um, maybe that late eighties or into the nineties period, uh, because staffs were, were were bigger. I mean they've been streamlined now, so. Uh, if you're 25, 26, and you're not playing regular first team, I think then you 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 might be battling for a contract. Um, as as clubs now transition younger players uh, into debuts a bit younger, you don't you don't do, you don't seem to do your um, your time in the second eleven um, in terms of lear- learning your craft before you you make your debut. So I think those that would be the big difference. I think you see in in. Uh, in the game at the moment is you know those players at 17 18 um and have ability and talent it did happen back back then but i think it happens more often now where they're sort of thrown in at the deep end um and given that opportunity a bit, a bit earlier than they necessarily would have been 20 25 years ago so less sort of apprenticeship type of um succession planning and more you know sink or swim get them in and, and see how they do yeah, well, I think yeah, yes. Uh, I think that I don't think that's a bad a bad thing. I think that's yeah. Say if you think players um, have got the ability, then yeah, you throw them in and see how they get on. And you can always manage that in terms of pulling them out, <clears throat> working on them, and then getting them back in as quick as you can. But I think rather than sort of make them sit there, uh, well, my view is rather make them sit there and second level for three or four years and, and earn, earn the opportunity I think well I do think that's important but I think you know, if you know they can play and you think they, they can influence games at the first team level within within two years then why hold that back I think that's um, you know if, if, you, if they are then that good you know you, I think you're doing them an, an injustice uh, in terms of potentially what they could achieve in the first class environment I think that's very encouraging uh, thinking to hear that actually. Um, but what so what from a, if I can turn the the conversation from uh, your playing career? What point do you um, do you think it dawned upon you that you could see a a career beyond playing in in coaching? Um, how did that all come about as well? Uh, the coaching one is is pretty interesting. I mean, I, I started doing the badges quite young, um, so I finished the level three at the time. Uh, by the time I was twenty six, so I'd sort of um, I. I played in the winters with uh, in, uh, uh, club cricket in, in Durban in South Africa. So I was coaching at a high school there. I was um, director of coaching, I think was the official title, but, but running the programs there across the various age groups. So I was coaching there. So I made a point of, of, of um, I'd always, I was already level two by the time I'd done that. So through, through the Southwest Cricket Association, I'd done the level one at I think 16 or 17. Uh, and then by the time I was twenty, I'd done the level two. So I was trying to progress that. Um, that was that wasn't through choice. That was actually sort of suggested and, and in a way um, coerced. Um, but by the time I was twenty six, I'd, I'd sort of um, I had done the level three. Um, it wasn't. I didn't see coaching as the avenue I actually wanted to go down. Funny enough, um, I was more interested in, in the administration of the game. Um, and hence, at the age of twenty eight, um, when I joined Warwickshire, actually. Um, did the NBA uh, or got enrolled in the NBA 
um, because I thought that, that was the avenue that I wanted to go down. You know, I love talking about the game. I love talking to the players about how they play and um, uh, their strategies, plans, you know, what they were thinking, technically what they do and how they figure things out. So I, I love that sort of part, I guess. So that was the um, the area that sort of kept me involved with with, um, with with coaching or kept me aligned to coaching. But but for me, it was more. I, I didn't. I didn't see myself in a tracksuit, in the tracksuit, feeding balls on a bowling machine all day. That was the way I sort of saw it. I didn't, I didn't see that as, uh, as something that I wanted to do. Um, so you know, I did the MBA with, with the, basically, basically with the, the the thought that that's the avenue that I would uh, like to, to go down. Uh, the playing career managed to be extended a bit longer, um, so that allowed me to to get um, onto the level four when I was uh, back at Morgan. Um, I think it was around the 2007 stage, 2008 stage. Um, so um, that then, I guess that was at the point where, uh, even though I, was, I wasn't doing any active coaching, so I was working with players, so I was still living in Birmingham, but, but playing down in, um, back down in, in Cardiff, back down in Wales. So, but I wasn't, I wasn't doing any coaching apart from working with players within the current squad so I would stay behind after sessions and, and do one-to-ones with players uh, they, you know, they'd feed me balls I'd feed them balls I was you know, talking about their games and helping develop them from that point of view or assisting I should say um, so that I guess got me, me back into into that way of thinking and then the opportunity came up to um, to get on the level four um, so that's that, I guess that sort of reignited that that sort of I wouldn't say the flame because I don't think it was there, but it sort of got me thinking about um, the coaching again as, as a viable um, option. Um, I then finished in 2008 and again had no um, no real thoughts on, on what I was going to do as it happens. I still what I was uh, I was playing with Bermuda. Bermuda at the time we're, we're playing um, quite a lot of cricket through the winter period. So um, I was generally away for, for, for three months, sometimes four months during those winter blocks. Um, so that was still, again, didn't ha- help the, the, the coaching avenue because you away away so much. Um, when I finished the moment, I did want to uh, carry on professionally. Um, I was talking to a, a couple of counties about extending that. Um, but I'd approached Solihull School because um, I was on the level four and not coaching. And Gordon Lord was running the program. He said, look, you need to be doing some coaching um, with individuals or with teams. So you know, what can you do? So I approached Solihull School, uh, long, long story short, after a discussion with them about um, a winter program and can I come along and can I assist, um, get involved. They actually offered me a full-time job. Um, so the timing was actually... Um, very, uh, was very lucky with the timing because I just finished with Glamorgan. Um, I didn't want to carry on playing, but this opportunity to, to join um, the full-time staff at Solihull School as director of coaching or director of cricket came up. Um, so I went down that route, um, and obviously that that, that involved the, uh, involved coaching full-time. What would you say the uh, the difference between level four and level three was for you um, from a from a practical perspective, um, what what did it what did it bring to to your coaching knowledge and understanding that you hadn't previously necessarily been aware of or as aware of? Yeah, I think I think the linkage between a linkage of running teams. Um, so uh, that's what I mean. So the the coordinating, yeah, you know, the S and C, the physio, 
assistant bowling coach, spin bowling coach. So the linkage between everybody, um, the man management of people. Um, I think that was that was was big on their agenda. It wasn't so much, you know, learning the, the talking about you know, the learning about you know, the technical aspects of the game and the, and the game and the strategies, etc. It was more around the, the linkages of everything and, and how how to, to pull, pull everything together to run a successful team, uh, but also assist players to play as a team within a successful team. So I think that was that was a big thing for me. The psychology was 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 a really interesting part, not just the psych- understanding strategies dealing with people but understanding yourself uh, and how you operate so that was again a big a big learning uh, learning curve for me so that's what attracted me to it the module I think um, well the level four consisted of 15 different modules at the time again you know since then it's evolved and changed I think now it's actually classified as, as a as a degree I think they do it through Gloucester University so and so it has moved on and transitioned but for me, that was that, that was the key element is, is how you put it all together and the, the man management of of players um, because you know the, the game is about managing people uh, ultimately. Yes, you're trying to pass on um, technical uh, knowledge and, and strategies and game plans, and uh, but actually it's, it's it's about understanding people and, and how do you help them so they be the best that they can be. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, David. We'll have to uh, uh, revisit that on another occasion and talk about that in a lot more depth, I think. But um, but for the purposes of um, of of our of our chat today and your connection to the women's game, um, because as as you're aware, the podcast um, has kind of developed and emerged into um, a focus around people involved in the women's game. So having had so much time in the game as uh, in the men's game as a player. And then having a little bit of experience into uh, schools cricket at Solihull, um, how did things um, emerge and take shape for you to then uh, get involved in the women's game? Yeah, well, uh, I, I am. Well, say I, my family emigrated to Australia back in two thousand thirteen. So, um, so again, we were there. No, no, no job. Uh, obviously, wanted to get get into coaching. So, I was was coaching locally um, at a at a Premier League club there. Uh, or district club, as they call themselves, there uh, working at Scotch College as director of coaching, uh, one of the private schools in Melbourne, uh, and also was doing a little bit of work with cricket, cricket Australia. So I, I was, uh, I guess, I guess for, in terms of the female space, as I was, I was working those three roles uh, for the first year, year and a bit that I was in Australia. Um, Pran was actually starting a the club, the, the club I was playing at, or I was playing, but also coaching at. Um, they actually ran a female section, so I started to. Um, I didn't get involved, but I started to watch from, from, from a distance. They had some state players and some Australian players. So, um, the uh, Cole Bolton and uh, Lisa Falani were two, uh, and Cam- Jess Cameron at the time. But um, the Cole Bolton's only just finished playing with Australia. Lisa Falani's also just finished, but they're they're still playing uh, first class cricket in, in Australia at the moment. But I first sort of came across them and watched them training, and I was you know hadn't really sort of. Um, Taken that great deal and interest in the female game, um, simply because I, I don't think there was there was any coverage of it. There was no real media interest or coverage in it. So I first so I got to see them pl- uh, training at a close hand. Um, I watched the state team practice because they used Pran on a couple of occasions. Um, so I watched the squad there a couple of times. I thought oh, that actually you know, the skill level is, is is actually is actually very good. Uh, they train very well. Um, so that. That was the sort of first touch touch point with it, and then a year later, um, 
I think it was 2004, uh, end of 2000, middle of 2015, um, the state head coaching role came up, which was linked with the Melbourne Stars because um, the um, the BBL was now going to run a WBBL um, and the Melbourne Stars. So that, that role was linked through Cricket Victoria. Um, and it came up and I was asked if I'd be interested. Um, so I went, yeah, went along, got interviewed and was fortunate to get the, the opportunity. So at the time it was... Um, it wasn't. I was full time, but the players, the Australian players, were uh, were full time. Um, but the, but the the players that were contracted from a state point of view, we were only training um, three times a week um, on a couple of hours. So it was it done, and it was tra- training was done in the evenings. Uh, they were only playing six fifty over games. Uh, that hasn't changed that much. They've only increased that to eight fifty over games. But obviously, the BBL has taken on. Uh, the primary vehicle for for, for development in, in Australia. Um, so that was the first uh, introduction to to the female space. Wow, amazing! I mean, uh, I mean, just just listening to you for the last fifteen twenty minutes or so to to, to kind of just try and work out. You know, here's somebody who, you know, grew up in um, in South Wales, played, uh, you know, played through the, the the county development pathway system for the Welsh schools, played at Millfield, um, then went on to uh, play first class cricket uh, for Glamorgan and Warwickshire. All of a sudden, you end up emigrating to Australia, having had no real kind of exposure to or um, or real connection to the women's game, and within the space of a couple of years, you're coaching the Melbourne Stars. <laughs> That's quite a remarkable story in itself. Yeah, look, I think that's the uh, that's the timing. I did the, the timing worked out. I'm obviously so you know, fortunate to um, to get the opportunity, um, especially in, in my I guess my coaching um, my coaching journey, if you like. Um, because yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done the badges, but didn't have a lot of experience in terms of, uh, of running sides. Uh, I actually spent a winter in '97 covering for Andy Moles, the Free State Second Eleven. So um, you know, I had had exposure at, at that first class level um but you know actually doing it full time as a, a as a job um this, this was the first the first real go at it so um and again look, it was um great because the, the, the girls you know that space was evolving and changing and it changed rapidly so you know i went from training you know in the events at the mcg to uh to when i finished you know the girls Cricket Victoria, you know, um, redeveloped ground at, at the Junction Oval, so built a, a, a wonderful facility there in, in Melbourne, for uh, forty million dollar development. Um, so it's an outstanding facility now, uh, where we were all housed. Um, so the girls, you know, pretty much being in in every day. They're still not classed as, as full time. Um, they earn around a full sort of a, a lower level um, salary um, in terms of junior players in, into the male space so that's sort of equivalent so they still get the opportunity to um, to work and study um, so you know they're in every day but they, we don't they're not there or the whole day so we try and you know manage them so they can run parallel careers and I guess that's the big difference between the male space and the female space at state level um, in Australia is that we try and um, you know we try to encourage them to, to study or, or you know Work, work part-time, get away from, from just doing cricket. I think the girls manage that really well. They're very organised, very structured. Um, probably, um, I certainly don't think I'd be as organised or as structured So, uh, from a male point of view, but they're certainly, I think that's a, an asset that they, they, they have. Uh, and assist them with their cricket development. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting to to hear. I didn't know that at all, and um, I've learned a lot in this privileged seat of listening to people like yourself uh, share their stories. But a lot a lot of the the changes that have come about in the women's game in England have been quite transformational. And um, you know, listening to um, even that little uh, last few minutes there, um, understanding a lot more about the state system in Australia because I think. You know, the, my my understanding is that the Australian women's system was quite pioneering um, in, in in on the international um, stage, uh, and a lot a lot of other countries, of which England is one, has looked to uh, Australia and the system that they've incorporated uh, since sort of twenty fourteen twenty fifteen as as being the one they want to kind of learn from. So, must have been a fascinating time to be involved um, with the Melbourne Stars and see uh, how things have changed since. But clearly, you've moved on from from there. So, uh, so tell us how how that all came about, and and you know, um, you know what led to you now coming up to your current role in uh, in Pakistan. Yeah, well, I'd my uh, my my contract expired in um, uh, just over a year. Yeah, what was it? April two thousand and what are we now? Twenty one, two thousand twenty. So, um, so my contract there. Yeah, I. I, I uh, completed five years with with both the state side and the Melbourne Star side, um, so my contract expired then. Um, uh, so I was moved on. Um, you know, they felt they needed a change, which was uh, which which I think is is right. I certainly um, I sort of enjoyed that space, but I think you know, looking back now, um, it was. Um, it was an area that I, I I was I wasn't actively looking for work, but but something that you know I look back now I think yes there was probably time for, for me to, to look at in, in a different direction uh, or with a different team I guess with a different set of players. But so I finished up, up then. Um, I did um, fun enough go back to to work in the mail program there for through August and September uh, prior to um, this this current role that I'm in now, uh, um, and this was advertised around the. Uh, July time, um, and again, um, I put my name forward and um, was fortunate you know, to get interviewed and, and then got the opportunity to take up this role in, in October. So that was the sort of the transition from uh, from my, my time with, with Victoria and Australia across to, to what I'm doing now currently at the moment. So what's what's the difference between um, you know, your experience in Australia, five years working with State um, and with Melbourne Stars to to now being head coach of the national team in Pakistan. I guess the biggest change here is, is where Pakistan is in its evolution of the female game. I mean, it's been going for, for less than, than, than 20 years, um, I believe. So um, our player depth and the, the player pool that we have, um, obviously back in Australia, it's very well structured, very well organised. Um, seven seven main states plus ACTs um, so they run a female team they don't run a male team but they run a female team in the first class environment so uh, again they're, they're, full, they're fully resourced with full-time coaches full-time physios SNC so they manage differently to, to the situation here so I've come into into the national role yes and we you know we have lots of resources and we go on camps but the uh, the depth of player um, from a domestic point of view is uh, is half that of or less than half of that than than, than what's the case in, in, in Australia. So for, as an example, the T twenty domestic competition took place in November um, and just three teams were picked, three squads of fourteen. Um, so the, the, the players, the player depth and quality is split across the three teams. 
Um, they play play each other twice, and then, then they come together and then play a final. So it's it's a well run competition, but you know, in terms of player number uh, numbers and depth, it's obviously different to to Australia um, and probably the UK. I know they're, they're they're changing the system in the UK now. The hundred ball will help that. Um, obviously, the Kia Super League was the start of it, but I think the hundred ball now. Um, Will will add add value to to what they're trying to do there. The more contracted, potentially contracted players. So again, more contact time with players. So it's creating that contact time with players that allows you, I guess, to, to put your stamp on things um, and and not play, let players go go back and uh, be away from from the system for too long. Um, so you know, the Australian players can transition back to state and still be full full time involved in a full time program when, when the national side's not playing. Uh, whereas in Pakistan, you know, the, the big challenge for us now is we you know we come back from tour now. Um, our split of players is um, fifteen based in Lahore, ten based in, in Karachi and uh, two in I call it in the bush because they are literally in the bush, uh, separate locations um, in, in, in in other parts of Pakistan. So we have to try and manage those if uh, there isn't a system underneath. There are coaches that they utilise, but uh, there isn't a, a full-time system underneath that that can. Um, and they're not playing full-time cricket underneath. So we have to put on these tour- domestic tournaments to to make sure that the next tier is is a being challenged, but also players are getting the opportunity to to learn grow as much as possible. So that's the that's the challenge that we face compared to Australia, which you know runs uh, runs the Big Bash, which is obviously. Um, the pioneer in the female game outside of internationals, um, but also the state system. But the state system, they're only playing eight games. So, I mean, I know there's certainly in my time, there was, um, we did, the coaches were asking for more games. And I think that will happen uh, once I think COVID has settled down and, and more money comes back into the game. I think they will uh, they will push on and hopefully have a, have a two round system so you play each other twice. So, at least they're, uh, they're getting. They're getting 14 one-day games as well. Um, the danger is, I guess, England, Australia, um, maybe India, if they go down the, IP, the female IPL route, that those countries pull away from um, everybody else and there becomes too big a gulf within the female space at, at an international level. Um, that, that's the danger that I see. Um, but, say, in Pakistan at the moment, that, that's how we manage it. You know, we're running camps. We've got one in... Um, in April, we'll get together for three weeks. We then have a 50 domestic, 50 over domestic competition in May for two weeks, uh, and then we're off to Sri Lanka for the World Cup qualifiers. So we're busy, um, but there isn't a system underneath that sort of underpins everything uh, as there is in the UK or, or Australia. So maybe, I mean, I don't know whether you've thought of this, but it sounds like to me your earlier aspiration to get involved in the, as you described it, the administration side of the game, having done your uh, learning um, through um, through your MBA experience as well as obviously having built up your coaching first-hand experience um, through all the different uh, uh, sides that you've um, you've been involved in uh, to what extent do you think there might be an opportunity to to influence and shape that that sort of uh, lack of depth of system and infrastructure um, is that something that you'd be interested in looking at yeah it would I mean I've been um so I've been I've been fortunate to um, to I guess be, be heavily involved in, in those decisions within um, 
within the female space because obviously the game's evolving and changing. So as the head coach, I've been fortunate enough to, to be sort of involved in the, the strategy of it and where it goes. Um, so that's been really interesting. Uh, would I be interested in that? Yes, I would. Um, but I mean, at the moment, I'm really enjoying the, co- the coaching the coaching aspect. Um, yes, I mean, as a coach, I think there is a limited shelf life. I think that's, I think the, the, what Alex, Alex Ferguson did and Arsene Wenger did is uh, extraordinary um, in, in modern day coaching. Um, even though you're playing group changes, I think, you know, the change of environment is um, is healthy um, and gets you thinking you know, thinking differently and, and outside the box and challenges you. So, um, you know, your shelf life, I guess, will, will, will come to an end and, and you'll have to sort of seek different opportunities to, at some stage. But, but I guess the, the admin side would, would definitely be something that um, I would look at, but at the moment, um, I'm certainly enjoying the uh, the coaching part of it. Well, it sounds like um, you you're really enjoying it, and uh, I know you, I've taken you away from uh, a, a busy schedule, even though it is the weekend. Um, so I'd just like to say a, a huge thank you, David, for uh, investing the time and giving up uh, your time for us today. I think listening to you, the lots of words kind of seem to. Um, resonate in terms of the likes of the, the word challenge um, experience uh, opportunity I think also it's fair to say that um, you've done an awful lot of traveling um, and I think that's something that you know perhaps um, individuals looking at careers within coaching or within the game as a whole have to appreciate that um, sometimes you know speculate to accumulate and you might not necessarily plan uh, to uh, move from you know place A to place B um, and then find yourself with an opportunity. But in your case, uh, that seems to have happened on a number of occasions. And it's not necessarily been, you know, the case of moving from Birmingham back to Glamorgan. You know, you've made some big steps in your in your life with your family and uh, and, and also that's affected your, your career. And, and yet uh, you've made the most of it. And um, and you're now in a, in a position that, um, you know, perhaps a lot, lots of people would aspire to be. And uh, I'm sure from what we've listened to, you, you really appreciate the, the level of influence you've got there. And, um, and, and long may that continue. So we wish you all the very best in your current role and with any future aspirations and really appreciate you sharing your story with us. That's great. No, no problem at all. Thank, thanks for your time, Tom. Uh, been great to catch up. It's an absolute pleasure to have listened to you. And um, if you guys listening out there to, to this particular podcast show really enjoy uh, the story, then um, then please, you know, please like and share and um, look out for opportunities to uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts in particular. Um, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll look forward to, to speaking to you again in the not too distant future. David, thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. As a reminder, each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.